Well, good morning, everybody. Let's do that again. Good morning, everybody. Listen, you got an extra hour of sleep. You're feeling good, right? I got an extra hour to preach. It's going to be a long morning, okay? Hey, hey, thanks so much for joining us online. We're so glad that you're here just coming off of Halloween. Love some Halloween. Anybody like Halloween in the house? Nobody. Okay, let's go. Anybody online like Halloween? Let's go. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Steven, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Snickers. Just guess Snickers. Snickers is always the win. Somebody online write down your favorite Halloween candy, right? It's just like, man, we just, I like all of it, right? I don't need just one. But have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how awkward Halloween can be? Like when kids walk up to the door, especially young kids, they don't have any idea what to do. And they're just standing there in fear, kind of holding this bag out like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And then there's other kids who are a little more graduated. Like they're looking in your little thing of your little container of candy, wanting to pick out what they can get personally. And then last night, I had more high schoolers than I did elementary kids in my house. And they're looking at me like, are you going to call the police? I don't know what's happening. Like, can I, can, I, can I get some candy? I'm just, and I'm thinking, that's a lot better than some other things I was doing on Halloween when I was in high school. And so it just, it can be this awkward, awkward experience. And, and, and the, one of the things that's more awkward than Halloween, talking about politics, right? <laughs> talking about politics. If you, if you met somebody for the first time and they just walked up and says, hey, how are you doing? Like, what do you do for a living? Who are you voting for? Like, what are you doing right then? You're out. Like, you're never talking to them again. You are bailing on that conversation because it's just awkward. It's, it can be offensive. We don't know where people stand. We don't know what we can talk about. We don't know what, what we believe sometimes. And so how do we even kind of wade into the waters of talking about politics in the election? And so that's what we're going to do today. You know, in 2016, the last presidential election um, I was at a friend of mine's, a good friend of mine in Florida, and we were watching the election in Florida. You know, and like most people, as we kind of rolled into election day, it seemed like Secretary Clinton was going to win the presidency. And so we began to watch the returns come in. And, you know, I, it seemed like that was how it was going to go. And so I went on to bed kind of early. And um, I woke up that next morning, and I'm getting ready to go out for a jog. And I'm looking at my phone, and lo and behold, Donald J. Trump is the new president of the United States. And so I uh, kind of get my shoes on, I walk out, and as I'm out by the mailbox, box where I'm about to go jog and there was an older lady there older in her 70s and uh, she made some comments to me about the election uh, I think she may have used the word debacle I can't really remember but she definitely kind of let me know where she stood on this topic and then she said these words to me and I'll never forget them and it has marked everything that I've ever thought about voting about politics or about an election and she said this I am so afraid. I am so afraid. And I never had a category for that in an election. And I thought to myself, what a tragedy that someone could go through life with their identity, their security, their hope, their future tied up in an election. And how could you live that way? And that there is a better calling that we're called to, that there's a higher hope that we live for, that there's a better king who's leading us into our future. And Stone Creek, we need to know that today. Listen, politics can be awkward, but what we want to do is we want to be informed and transformed by the words of Jesus when it comes to our country. So how, how can we do that, Right? Like, like, how can we step into uh, an election where there are competing sides and there's a lot at stake? How can we step into that and let our minds be formed by Jesus and not by our politics? Because too many times, if we're, if we're honest, our, our views of Jesus are formed by our politics rather than our politics being informed by Jesus. 
And so today, like my, my goal is not to offend anybody, even though some, most of you will be, right? Um, uh, I'm going to say some words that I don't have to have no political connotations to me, but they do to some people. Like I may use the word great and somebody's going to say, I knew it. He's voting for Trump. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say something like immigration. They're going to say, I knew it. He's a liberal, right? And I'm probably in good company with that because I think Jesus was misunderstood and many times, but that's not my goal today, man. It's not to offend anybody, but my goal is to just shepherd us and not lecture us. Because we want to be a people whose hearts are formed by God's words, right? Amen, somebody? Like we want to be a people who aren't thrown back and forth by the political current as it runs the river. But we also need to acknowledge that elections are important. You know, you know some people have said that this is the most important election in our lifetime. And listen, that, that may or may not be true. Time will tell. We, we won't know this week, Right? Time will tell if it is. And some are saying it's the most important election since 1864 uh, when Abraham Lincoln was elected to his second term. And time will tell. I don't know if that's true. Some have said this is the most divisive election, but I feel like if we lived in the Civil War, we may would think the same thing. I don't know. But here's what I know. I know for me and I know for you, I know for all of us that it's important because it's the one that's in front of us. It's important because it's going to shape attitudes. It's important because it's going to shape thoughts. It's important because it's going to shape policies. It's important. And so we should know how to have our minds informed and transformed by God's words. Because can you imagine that as we roll out of this and whether your team wins or loses, that people are able to look to you as a source of calm in the midst of chaos, as a source of light in the midst of darkness, as life in the midst of of death like what if you could be looked at as that person that's our goal for today so we'll talk specifically about certain politics I don't want this just to be just a hey God's got it kind of sermon that's not what this is about but how can we really live in this world that we live in be informed by the Bible and recognize that there are a lot of people that think that that don't think like us how do we handle that so let's grab our Bibles we'll be in Matthew chapter 22 Matthew chapter 22 what I know is some of you are already offended because I haven't taken a position. Um, and so you're welcome. Uh, Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to start in verse 15. I just want to tell this story. And we see that Jesus is right in the middle of a political entanglement. Now, a lot of times what we will say is, you know, you can't bring Jesus into politics. You've got that whole separation of church and state. And you have a gross misunderstanding of what that really means. Because think about this. Everybody that you vote for, everybody or have voted for, right? Everybody has a has some type of religious spiritual tract in our life like everybody everybody that's going to Washington that's going to Atlanta going to any other elected like everybody you can't separate the two and clearly in the life of Jesus he didn't run from it he was entangled in it many many times and so here this is what we see happening so in verse 15 it says that the Pharisees went and they plotted how to entangle him in his words, meaning Jesus. They want to trap him. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And they said, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. You, don't, you do not care about anyone's opinions. You are not swayed by appearances. Like I love that word swayed. You know what it means? Jesus doesn't take a poll to decide what he believes. That's what it means. He is not swayed by public opinion. And then he says, tell us then what you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Oops. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. So I'll get to, the, I'll get to verse 19 in a second. Just kind of finish up in verse 18. So there's a couple of group things happening here politically. You had the Pharisees, right? Now the Pharisees were a religious uh, 
organization, the religious leaders. Some people would say they were a political party, but they were the religious leaders. They led in the temple, and they wanted a return to King David's rule. Now, now, as you read the Bible, King David is just kind of put up as the poster child for the perfect king. Like, if we could get back to that, it would be like the good old days, right? So, like, if you're a Republican, you want to say, hey, if we could just get back to Ronald Reagan, that's what we would like to do. Or maybe if you're a Democrat, you may say, hey, we just need Barack back. Or maybe you would just go back even to John F. Kennedy. Like, there are some people you look at that kind of idolize and epitomize who you would vote for. The Pharisees wanted to go back to King David. And Jesus was having no part of being part of their political scheme to reinstate this worship of David. He would not be a pawn. He could not be, he could not be controlled. So what did they want to do? Want to trick him. Want to get him out of office. Wanted to kind of eradicate him. And the way they were going to do that was put him in this political fight. So you had the Pharisees on one side. So the Pharisees, let's just say they're on this side. Now, I don't want you to read in this, in, in, anything into this because it's my left and your left, right? So don't read anything into this. Pharisees are right here. Now, you have what's called the Herodians that, he mentioned, that, that are mentioned there. So the Pharisees got with the Herodians. They, they wanted a return to the, the rule of this political leader named Herod. They were a political party. They had enmeshed themselves with the government. And so it was beneficial for them financially. It was beneficial for them personally for, for, for Herod to kind of be king for and they, so they were for the Roman government, right, to be in charge. So you had the people who were for God and the people who were for the government, and they want Jesus to choose sides. Of course, Jesus is too brilliant for that, isn't he? Uh, he's not picking sides. As Tony Evans said, Tony Evans, a pastor, he said, Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And so this is, Jesus is going to navigate this. He's going to thread the needle on this issue. And so uh, what I love about this particular story is it, is it kind of comes to this idea of tax, right? They're like, like, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And, and I think even for us, one of the main things that happens in a political season, one of the main reasons we vote is for money. Think about it. Like the reason why we vote is about our dollar dollar bills and who keeps them, who gets them and how they're spent. And now for some people, there's another thing. And as I thought about it this week, man, I just was challenged in my thinking on this. Some people vote for, for their own morals, okay, their own values. But, he, but he, here's the truth. If we're just really honest with ourselves, if you just think about it for a minute, you want to be sure that if you vote for the morals that you hold, that the money follows them. You want to be sure that that politician, that he pays for your priorities. That's how he's going to prove that you think the same. And the reason why I think elections can be so volatile comes down to this. It comes down to how the dollars are going to get spent or how the dollars are going to get taken, however you want to look at it. There's tax policy and which group is going to pay more taxes. Is, is that even feasible? Is that fair? Is that right? Is that going to be good for the economy? What's the stock market going to do? How's my retirement going to turn out? Like what are interest rates going to do? And we think through those things. We, th we think about we've got struggles with health care and like how's that going to get paid for and who's going to get it and who's not and how's it, the system's going to work and you have immigration and like, like who's going to do what there. And if you think that's a new issue, you need to go to Ellis Island, by the way, and just visit one day. And this has been something that's been around for debt for since we've been a country. And, and how do we spend money on that? And who do we let in and who do we keep out? And then it gets to so many other things like Planned Parenthood and who's going to fund that and should we fund that? And do they do any good or is it just all bad things? And so we just have where our dollars go. And, and Jesus, Jesus called it where your treasure is, where your heart is. 
It's why we get so worked up about it. It's because too many times, the reason why we're worked up about an election or about a candidate, it has more to do with our finances than it does anything else. So we just have to guard that. I would just encourage you. As you think about voting, as you think about winning, as you think about parties, as you think about candidates, like what about your own personal belief about your finances? Like whose are they? They belong to you, they belong to God. Man, man, on our money it says this, in God we trust. And I think the founding fathers did that because they knew this was going to be a problem. That we were going to start trusting things other than God. Because one of the reasons why we can trust money is because the country we live in, right? The country that we live in. Watch in in verse 18 and 19. Let's finish reading the passage. It says that uh, in verse 18, it says, Jesus was aware of their malice. He said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. Show me the money. Show me the money. Oh, that's from a movie, isn't it? Or did I just make that up? Did y'all catch that? What movie is that right now online? Drop it in the comments, right? You know where that is. says, and they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, it's Caesar's. And he said, render to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. So listen, he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. So we do have a part to play in the political process, don't we? And he's not trying to draw this dichotomy between government and God. What he's saying is God's over all of it. He says, but you have some responsibilities. Like for some of you in the room and some of you watching online that are closer to my age, like we grew up in a different day, didn't we? Like I can remember every morning at school over the intercom saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You remember that? Like I can remember saying that. I can remember right after that, guess what happened? Somebody prayed. And I always wanted to be the one to be able to get on the intercom. And look, my dreams came true. Um, (laughs) I always wanted to be the one to be able to say it and recite it and lead people. And like we had this level of patriotism that 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 was ingrained in us. Think about some of the movies that came out. Top Gun, anybody? Highway to the Danger Zone? Like wasn't even a war happening, but we won flying upside down in an airplane, right? I mean, then, then you had Rocky IV fighting that evil Russian Ivan Drago, and of course, the United States always wins. Of course, we're the good guys, and we always win. Man, think about, what about Bruce Springsteen? Born in the USA. And then, even though it's a little cheesy, Lee Greenwood, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. You know, we we had this level of patriotism and things that we were able to do and countries that were able to help. And our economy was so strong and so big and our military was so mighty that we were able to help protect some who couldn't protect themselves. But but if we ignore some of the problems we have, we're short-sighted, aren't we? If we ignore some of the problems we have, whether it's economically or whether it's racially and some of the challenges that we're facing and some of the inequalities that we've seen, if we ignore kids who don't have enough to eat or children who um, won't grow up and be able to go to college, man, if we ignore the problems we have with health care, man, we're going to sell ourselves short. Listen, we've got our set of problems, but the truth is this is a pretty good place to live. Let's just be honest. It's a pretty good place to live. You know, people will say, you know, if so-and-so wins, I'm, I'm leaving the country. I'm leaving the country. And that's because this country gave you the economic opportunity to earn enough money to leave this country. <laughs> 
So we need to just acknowledge that this is a pretty good place. And if you don't, if you don't realize that, listen, I'll take you to, to some places I've been like Cuba, where you had to worry about an informant turning you in for talking about Jesus. Listen, I'll take you to some islands in the Pacific where you can walk in a restaurant and there's a teenager sitting at a table with an old man and you know immediately that that's about human trafficking. Man, I, I could take you to the poorest country in Africa where poverty has robbed people of their dignity. And because of that, because that we have it pretty good here, we tend to put our hope here, don't we? We tend to hope in something that can't deliver. And we gotta be careful. We gotta be careful, Stone Creek. Our hope is not in this country. Our hope is not in who wins the election, man. Our hope is in God. Article in the USA Today this week, 70% of Americans are anxious about the election. 70%. And while it, it, can ha- it will have some impact on us, and you don't want to be, be naive enough to say it's not going to change anything in your life and everything's just going to go on and you know, everything's going to be great and I'm going to be happy and have everything that I want. I'm always going to have a job and my taxes are going to go down. No, it, it's not to say that we can't have some hardship, but it is to say, man, that we need a longer horizon to look at. I wrote this down. If, if your concern about the country turns into fear about your future, your trust is in the wrong place. Let's say this again. Listen, if you're concerned about our country, which you should be concerned, listen, we should vote. Like some people say, yeah, I'm not going to vote. And, and if that's a matter of, uh, 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 if, if that's a conviction you have, then that's, that's your conviction. But if it's a matter of convenience because you didn't get around to it, then don't do that. Man, man, we should understand the issues. Man, we need men and women who know Jesus, love Jesus, who have his character, who have his courage. We need them in office. We need that. So we don't want to divorce ourselves from that, but we don't put our trust there. Listen, if the concern for this election, if, if the concern about our country turns into fear about the future, listen, we missed it. We missed it. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Then he says this, rendered unto God what is God's. Now, now I, I think what Jesus is doing here is, is he's doing a little word play on this word image. It, you know, it says whose likeness and inscription is this in verse 20 on the, on the coin. And I think what he's doing is he, he's pointing out something that everybody in his audience would have known. And that's from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Um, as we look at, I'm going to turn there real quick. You guys should grab that. Genesis chapter one, verse 27. This is in the creation story. And it says this, as God created man in his own image, same word, right? Same word. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them in his image. You see, the coin had the image of Caesar. Your heart has the image of God. Like we're created in the image of God. It's when we were created, God reached down and he put his handprint in our heart. It's like putting, putting that handprint in a memory foam mattress. You know, it stays there. It erodes over time. But this is what our hearts were created for, that God has put his image in us, his likeness in us, for us to do the things that he's called us to do. We have value, we have worth because his image is in us. In Ecclesiastes, another place where it talks about how we were created and why we're created. Um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I believe it is, um, verse, yeah, verse 11. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so he can't find out what God has done from beginning to end. 
Like as Pascal said, there's this hole in our heart that only God can fill. And so what can happen is if we try to put anything else in that hole besides God, what's going to happen? It's going to be empty. It's going to be hopeless. We're going to have anxiety and the world's not going to work the way that it should work. And we have this image of God. He is our first allegiance. Now, what has happened over time, and one of the things that I do think makes this particular election season unique, is that with each passing year, politics has become more and more of our core identity. And the reason why I believe that's happening, there's lots of reasons. One reason is social media. Another reason is just this 24-hour news cycle. And you tend to watch the news stations that you agree with. So if you watch CNN, probably you agree with their, uh, well, I almost said a dirty word right there. You, all, you would agree with their political position. And what it's going to do is just reinforce what you think, even if what you think is ill-informed or wrong. Right? You may watch Fox News or MSNBC or maybe some other, or you may be one of those, yeah, I, uh, I, just, I just listen to them all so I can get a vast perspective, which means you don't know how to vote, right? But I have a feeling you probably lean towards one or the other. And we had that coming at us so much. And we had this ability to, to express our opinions in ways that can break relationships without any, without any uh, repercussions. And so what happens is politics becomes more of our core identity. Listen, if you follow Jesus, your identity is a follower of Christ. And you are a son of God. You are adopted in the family. You're to live with the freedom that God has given you. Listen, don't. Don't sell the crown of creation, you and me, humanity, man, for some spoils that can't even pay the light bill. Listen, listen, you're way too important for that. You're way more valuable than that. You have such a bigger future than that. Listen, don't sell it short. Listen, we are created in the image of God. Listen, the American dream is not the gospel. Man, your political platform, my political platform, it's not the truth. And our political parties are not God's church. And so we just need to remember that. Of course, we should be concerned. Of course, we should be involved. But we must remember not to let that steal our highest allegiance, which is to God. You're created in the image of God. Don't ever forget that. You know, the thing about being created in the image of God is we belong to a different king. We belong to a different king, so we live in a different kingdom. You know, one of the things that Jesus talked about the most was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Over almost a hundred times in the New Testament, Jesus speaks of this idea of the kingdom. Over in Mark chapter 1, Jesus just the first few words that Mark actually records that Jesus says. And he says this. He says, after John was arrested, John the Baptist was a guy who was just telling people about Jesus. As Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Right? He says the kingdom of God, that is the gospel. So what does that mean? We're not, we're not familiar with kings and kingdoms because we don't live in that type of, uh, we, don't, we don't live in that type of you know, political environment. Um, but, but obviously a kingdom is just the rule and reign. It's about who's in charge, it's about who gets to do what, and it's about who gets to say who does what. So when Jesus came is what it says, we know that the kingdom was inaugurated, it was be, that the kingdom began. We know it's not going to be completed until he comes again. So think about it. When Jesus came, he wants to bring, <coughs> excuse me, 
heaven to earth. That's the goal, right? He wants to bring heaven to earth. So what you see Jesus doing is you see him healing people. You see him calming storms just the way it would be in heaven. When he heals people, it's because there'll be no sick people in heaven. There'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more sickness will be in heaven. When you see him, you know, stand up for people who were marginalized and stand up for people who couldn't stand up for themselves. When he says things like, hey, you should serve, like he's bringing heaven to earth. He's given us a picture of what heaven could look like. And this is our job as Christians. You've heard the Lord's prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be the name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like this is, this is what we're supposed to be doing on a daily basis is understanding what it means to bring heaven to earth in every realm and every sphere of our lives. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount is where we see a lot of this unpacked over in Matthew um, 4, 5, 6, and some of, and some of 7. And, and, and he begins to really talk, just give us this countercultural way of looking at living. They call the kingdom the upside-down kingdom because it's like, hey, if you're first, what are you going to be? Last. You know, if you want to be, if you're, if you're, if you want to be first, then you should try to be last. He kind of throws in these things that are so countercultural. He says, hey, you know what? You've heard it say don't kill, but if you hated somebody, guess what? Same thing. It's a hard issue. And he begins to just walk through this upside down living. He says, blessed are the meek. Who says that? I don't see any meek people winning on Tuesday. Do you? He says, blessed are those who mourn. And he begins to just paint this picture of what it means. And I have to wonder sometimes. I just wonder. When I read what Jesus is saying and when I think about the teaching and the implications for me and when I grapple, I wonder if I would even vote for Jesus. You ever wonder that? Like, I just wonder, because as they say, he's too liberal for conservatives. He's too, conservatives for, too conservative for liberals. You've heard this before. Man, I, I just wonder when he would begin to say things and, that conservatives would struggle with. Like, hey, if someone, if someone needs your coat, give them your cloak too. In other words, just give them everything. Even if they can't pay you back, even if they'll waste it, just give it to them. Just be generous. Just be a giver. And I think conservatives would be frustrated with that. I, I think that liberals would be frustrated with his sexual ethic and the things that they would say infringe on their freedom. And I just think we have, we, have this, we have this conundrum in Jesus that challenges our thinking. And it should challenge us all personally. You know, there's so many ways that we vote and we vote on specific issues. And I know that in, in this election, you know, I think that there's one issue for most people that they're picking that I'm voting on that issue. And I totally understand that, right? So for some people, you're voting a pro-life issue. For some people, you're voting maybe on a character issue and all the things that are in between. We, we pick these one issues that we want to vote on. And what I would just encourage you to do is be sure you understand exactly why you're voting. Be sure you understand exactly what it is that you're voting for. Be sure you understand exactly the statement that you're making when you do vote. Because the reality is we don't vote for Jesus every four years. We vote every day, don't we? Somebody say amen right there, right? We, we vote every day by how we live. And we, we don't have the convenience of getting to do everything that we think is good, right? Because we have, we have Jesus' words that challenge us to do even better than that. There's a new kingdom because we have God's image. Our allegiance is to a different kingdom. Now, if you'll notice in this passage, if you're reading in your Bible, as you get to the end of this story, there's another story that's labeled the great commandment. This is not convenient. Have you noticed? The great commandment where Jesus gives us, someone tries to challenge him. This is teacher, 
What is the great commandment in the law? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I just remember somebody stole all my Halloween candy. <laughs> Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Man, as I read that this week. One of the things that stood out to me, man, the currency of the kingdom is love. I think we get that. The currency of the kingdom is love. Now, now, now this doesn't mean that we can't disagree. Sometimes we think love means I just got to let you be you. Even if you're stupid, I just got to let you be you. Even if you're wrong, I just got to let you be you. Like even if you're causing damage to other people, that's not what this means. It doesn't mean we can't disagree. As a matter of fact, it doesn't mean we shouldn't disagree. There are some places where we are never going to agree to disagree. But it's in how we disagree that I believe Jesus is trying to address. And I think the key to to disagreeing the way Jesus wants us to disagree is found in this little passage, in these little words, as yourself. As yourself. As yourself. You love somebody the way, not the way you love you, but the way you need somebody to love you. Amen right there? Like, and when, you, when you've experienced something and things move from policy and politics to personal, you handle it differently. Hey, it doesn't mean you handle, it doesn't mean you don't come to the same conclusion, but how you handle it, the words that you use, the, your, 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 your uh, ultimate outcome is different. You know, Debbie and I experienced this. That's why I was uh, getting a little weepy earlier. When my second son, when she was pregnant with my second son, Ethan, who's actually, he's a nurse on the front lines in Dallas. Um, Somebody should clap for him right there. Come on. Are y'all clapping online? Drop him an emoji right there. So when she was pregnant with him, she had this thing called placenta previa, caused some complications. And she goes to the doctor one morning and it's like, ooh, this this could go bad. Like you may not make it if if you decide to carry this child full term. You may not make it. And let me tell you, Until you face that, you may not know. You may not know the difficulty of someone. Until you've been in those shoes, you may not know. Until you've needed someone to give you some counsel and some mercy in a difficult, life-defining time, you may not know. Now, my wife knew. She was pretty clear. This thing's going all the way. We are not... We are not stopping this early. And I'm like, you could, you could die. And so we had to come to grips with that. Now, it hasn't changed what I think about God's plan. It hasn't changed what I think about what the Bible hasn't changed anything. But what it has changed is my sensitivity to people who wouldn't be able to make the choice that I made. Right? That, that, that I wasn't forced to make that. And I know that there are so many people when it comes to that issue on pro-life or maybe some other sexual issue or maybe some other addiction or anything in between that, man, that, that they are struggling and needing hope and needing a church to stand by them and with them, even when we may disagree with them. Somebody want to clap for that? Now, I've been preaching for 20 years. I've never told that story. 
And I'm so grateful to God that things are good and we didn't have to go there. But I also know that, man, in these times, how we want to hold up God's standard and how we want to uh, disagree with people. I wonder if when I get to heaven, of course, that's a big assumption, isn't it, right? I wonder when I get to heaven, God's going to spend less time talking about how I voted and more time talking about how I treated people that I disagreed with. I think we need to remember that. Listen, God loves you. Man, God loves us. It doesn't mean all things go. It doesn't mean that we just get to do whatever we want to do. Man, there are standards. There's, there's a paradigm. There are parameters for us to live in. Man, God has that, but God loves you. In Psalm 139, it says that God, God created you. Like before, before you think a thought, you know who knows them? God. That's scary. Like, where'd that thought come from, God? I didn't think that. Somebody else put that there. Man, he knows the words you're going to say before you say them. Man, man, he knows the steps you're going to take before you take them. He knows the sleep you're going to get before you fall asleep. You know what else? God knit Donald Trump together in his mother's womb. God knows Joe Biden's words before he says them. Man, God looks at Kamala Harris as created in his image. Man, God looks at Mike Pence and Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff and David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler and Doug Collins and everybody else that we've seen on TV demeaned and dehumanized. He looks at them as children of God. Listen, that, that's an inconvenient truth sometimes because that's hard. And we need to be a people who are salt and light because this is going to make us better. Who wants to wake up every morning thrown down the current of the political environment, not knowing what to expect? And we have a God who loves us and has established us. Now, in the Bible, we don't, we don't, it doesn't give us the command to vote or not vote. But you know what it does tell us to do? Pray for our leaders. Pray for our leaders. So that's what we're going to do. Let's pray together. So God, we know that you're a God that just offers us freedom and life and that we have such a great privilege right now, Lord, to vote, to be involved in uh, people's lives, man, to help people every day, to serve people every day, to put people first every day, to give to people every day. God, we just have this great, great, great privilege. And so we're grateful for that. And Lord, we know that you command us to pray for those who are in authority. So right now, in Jesus' name, I just pray for Donald Trump. God, don't know him. God, but you do. And God, you know his heart. Man, you know if it, where he's followed you or hasn't followed you. You know how he makes decisions. You know all the things about him. I don't need to know, but you know. God, I pray for you to give him wisdom. Uh, God, I pray for you to give him clarity. Lord, I pray that you would give him humility to put the country before his own personal ambition and agenda. God, I pray that you would just give him courage. Um, God, I pray that you would just continue to bless him, God, that your favor would be on him. And Lord, even when I don't even know what that looks like, I know that you do. And I know, God, that you hear, Lord. Lord, I pray for Joe Biden as he is heading up to be uh, 
in the election on Tuesday, God, that you would just have your hand of favor over him, that God, you would bless him. God, you would give him wisdom, Lord, in decisions he needs to make. God, you would give him clarity, Lord, about what he needs to do. God, you would give him humility to put this country before his own personal ambition and personal gain. And God, I pray that even through what may or may not be the most important election of our lifetime, God, that it's the one in front of us. And God, you would get glory through it, that Jesus would be lifted up, that we would remember he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has good for our lives. He has... uh, plans for us to prosper and not to harm us. God, that he's the one who holds our future in the palm of his hand and that you loved us so much that you sent him for us to die for us. And God, he can't be figured out. He can't be bought. He can't be voted for. He can only be followed. Help us to do that in Jesus name. Amen.